Today, I want to begin by telling you about Bernard Lagat. Bernard Lagat is a runner. He's an Olympian. Uh, he, and he has a practice, a way of going about training that defies conventional wisdom. So he's completed uh, two Olympics for Kenya. He's competed in three Olympics for the United States. He runs the New York Marathon. He currently holds the record for the 1,500, the 3,000, and the 5,000 meter runs. Uh, he has five gold medals. But every year he does something unusual that every other runner thinks is insane. He takes five weeks off completely. No running, no sit-ups, no training. He eats whatever he wants to eat. He gains, he says, typically eight to 10 pounds during those five weeks. And he says, I am a very, very happy man. He told the Wall Street Journal, rest is a good thing. And apparently it's not hurting him because in the last Olympics at age 41, 41, 41, he placed fifth, running against 20-year-olds, <laughs> okay? He's not alone. Amy Porterfield, who is an online YouTube marketing guru, so you want to do online marketing, you've probably watched some of Amy Porterfield's videos. And she talks about how a few years ago, she hated her life. She said, my life was like Groundhog Day from the bad place. Every day I had to make a video, every single day, seven days a week, I was cranking out another video. And it got to the point where I hated my life. A friend told her about this practice called mega batching, where you do a bunch of concentrated work in a short window. And so now she does, she takes one week and she shoots and produces and gets all the content ready for enough videos for six weeks, meaning that she has five weeks off between producing videos. She says, not only is she happier, she says, you know, before it was like a struggle to come up with content. And she says, now it's like I'm, I'm just walking down the street and it falls out of the sky into my brain. I don't understand what's going on. She says, but it's amazing. I will never go back to the old way of living life. What if I told you that you could be more productive by doing less? What if I told you you could be more productive by doing less? There's a spiritual principle at play, and it's in one of the Ten Commandments, and it's something that Joe Lieberman, who is a senator from Connecticut, lived out almost every week. Uh, Lieberman is most famous for being one of John McCain's friends in, 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 the, uh, in the Senate, but one thing about him is that he's a, uh, he's a devout Jew. He's actually written an entire book on rest. Every Friday night, they light the candles, Shabbat Shalom. And over the years, they have had Democrats and Republicans, interns buck to want to be part of their family Sabbath celebration. Because he says, as he says, he unplugs from all things Washington. Unless there's a critical vote on the floor on a Saturday, he won't do anything. And this is what he says. Want to know one of God's great blessings? A Saturday afternoon nap. 
testify. There is a rhythm to living life well. There is a rhythm to living life well. Does it involve training and producing and working and doing? Yes. Does it also involve stopping and ceasing and resting and being? Yes. I grew up in a small town in Indiana in the 1970s at a time and place where American Sabbath laws were still in effect. And so on any given Sunday, pretty much everything was shut down. I still have memories of my dad gassing up on a Saturday night because there was only one gas station that was open on Sunday uh, for the traveler, right, hitting the roads. For those of you who are younger, let me ask a simple question. On Christmas Day here in Nicholasville, Greater Lexington, on Christmas Day, is Walmart open? No. Is anything really open on Christmas Day? No, Chinese restaurants. <laughs> now, now take Christmas Day, and if you go back in time, that was true every single Sunday. Pretty much everything shut down. So for those of you who are younger, you have no memory of what that might be like. Um, and so part of the experience for me is you went to church, you had your special clothes, you had your Sunday clothes that you would don for the Lord's day. You would go to church in the morning. Typically, there was a big family meal. God bless those women, because it was a little bit sexist in the sense that they did all the work. <laughs> but there was a big family meal, typically with grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles and cousins. And then you went back to church that night. And if you were Baptist, you only went to church at night so you could have pie afterward with everybody because it was the fellowship that you really wanted. You didn't want another sermon, <laughs> okay? And it was an all-day thing. It was an all-day thing. I can think of no other, no other place in American culture where that's still true except perhaps black Protestant congregations where worship is an all-day thing. Today, today, we have no rhythm for living life well. It's either... 24-7, work, 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 work. Or it's, you know, I just kind of live for the weekends and when I can have like a three or four day binge watch on Netflix and I just don't care about work much. And it's kind of one or the other. And both are very unhealthy. So if I have a bottom line today, it's this, you gotta have the right rhythm to truly live. And that means you should set aside the Lord's day for worship, rest, and mercy. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses spells out on behalf of God some requirements for the Sabbath. And he says this, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. The Sabbath day was an entire day of no work. It began on Friday night, sunset the day before, and lasted until sunset on the Sabbath, the, the, the appearance of the first of three stars in the Saturday night sky. And everyone stopped doing. 
And I wanna point out a couple of things. It really means everyone, even servants, slaves, and notice, mm, livestock, even the animals aren't supposed to work. This is the worker's first bill of rights right here, if you've ever wondering, right? And it's radical. No other nation had anything like this. The other thing about it is that it's linked to God's work in creation. In other words, when we've got this rhythm, we're like God. So I want to keep going because it's actually stated differently in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, it adds this phrase right here. So observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The same thing as Exodus 20, but notice what gets added. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with a strong hand and powerful arm. That's why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. For 400 years, Israelites had worked without rest. Generation after generation. Why? They were slaves. Slaves don't get a day off. Slaves aren't valuable for who they are. Slaves are valuable for what they do, which is why in the ancient slave markets, the slaves that had a greater capacity to do things were worth more. And God is saying through Moses in this passage, now that you're about to go into the promised land, you've got to learn what it means once again to be human. And you need to know that you are valuable for who you are, not just what you do. And this is so important that I'm gonna make you stop once every week and not do, because I want you to know who you are and whose you are. This is a powerful thing that God is saying in this passage. You've got to learn to be human and not just a machine. Well, God takes the Sabbath very seriously, just as seriously as murder and, and having him, having no other gods but him. He says through the prophet Jeremiah, this is what the Lord says, listen to my warning. Stop carrying on your trade at Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. Do not do your work on the Sabbath. Make it a holy day. I gave this command to your ancestors. They didn't listen or obey. They stubbornly refused to pay attention or accept my discipline. And then in Ezekiel, your priests have violated my instructions, defiled my holy things. They make no distinction between what is holy and what is not. And they don't teach my people the difference between what's ceremonially clean and unclean. They disregard my Sabbath days so that I am dishonored among them. When Nehemiah came back with Jews returning to Jerusalem after being in captivity for seven years, 70 years, sorry, 70 years in exile, 70 years in captivity, they read and reread these commandments and they made a promise. Yes, Nehemiah, we're going to obey what God has asked us to do. Count us in, we're all in. Let's hold hands. Yes, we affirm that we will be God's people. And notice what happens. In those, day, I, in those days, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine presses on what? The Sabbath. They were also bringing in grain, loading it on donkeys, bringing in their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce, produce to sell. So I rebuked them. 
Some of the men from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling it on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and Jerusalem at that. He's like aghast. And so he does a couple of things. He calls all the people together and he says, remember, remember you said we're gonna obey God? Um, what is this? And they all felt really bad and looked down at the floor. And then he took some of his Persian guards who had come with him and he stationed them at the gates. And the merchants who came in, who, who tried to come in, these guys basically said to them, um, look, you go any further, we're gonna bust your chops, you're going into jail and it's gonna end really badly for you. And they left. They were like, oh, you know what? We're not gonna sell in Jerusalem on a Saturday. I think we're good with that. <laughs> Six days works for us, it works, okay? Now the Sabbath features prominently in the life of Jesus. In Mark chapter two, there's this interchange. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through the grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law? And Jesus said to them, haven't you read in scriptures what David and his companions did when he, he and they were hungry? He went into the house of God and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves that only the priests are allowed to eat. And he gave some to his companions. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying several things here. He's saying, I'm the new David, I am king. He's also saying, look, You've got it all wrong. Sabbath isn't about the rules. Um, I don't know if you know this, but in Jesus' day, there were 1,521 things you could not do on a Sabbath. They had extensive debates. If you went into your hen house or however that worked, right, in the first century and you found an egg under your hen, what do you do? It's the Sabbath. Did the hen lay the egg the day before? If it was the day before, could I eat it? Like, and they had extensive debates over whether or not they should touch the egg, get the egg, like, is the egg, should I throw the egg away? Like, what's, I mean, and Jesus is like, you've got it backwards. <laughs> and one of the things Jesus consistently did is that he would heal people on the Sabbath to make a point. The point being, of all the days to show someone mercy and help someone in need, love your neighbor, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. Jesus didn't just stop there, Jesus transformed the Sabbath. We find this in the book of Hebrews where he says, so there's a special rest still waiting for the people of God, for all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world we find our real rest in Jesus. Jesus really is the, full, the fulfillment of the Sabbath because in Jesus we have this, we don't have to strive anymore to earn God's favor. We don't have to obey all the 613 commandments in all just the right ways. What Jesus did on our behalf is enough and that gives us rest, spiritual rest. And because it was so transformative and because Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, Christians began celebrating the Lord's Day. So the Jews had the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week. And observing the Sabbath is a mark of the Jews. But because Jesus rose from the dead and because Jesus was the fulfillment of everything that they were waiting for, 
Christians began celebrating what we call the Lord's Day that has strong connections to the Sabbath, but is not quite the same thing. So, and they did it on the first day of the week. Now, in the Roman Empire, I don't know if you know this, they didn't have weekends. Don't you feel bad for those Romans? I mean, you thought Nero was bad, but really, it was not giving them weekends. They had nothing to live for, right? So there were no weekends. There were no weekends. In Rome, you worked seven days a week. Only the Jews did the whole Sabbath thing, and, and they were pockets in cities, and it was strange. So people who became followers of Jesus, people who became Christians who had a Greco-Roman background, often what happened is in their congregations, they celebrated the Lord's Day after a full day's work. They would put in a full day's work, and in the evening they would share a meal together, and they would worship. And here's some things that characterized their gathering together. The Lord's Day was about worship. It was about gathering together. It was about being confronted with gospel preaching. It was about coming together with mutual instruction and edification and encouragement. And it was about the Lord's table, celebrating the rest that they had, achieved, that they had gotten because of what Jesus done on their behalf. J. Ellsworth Callis who was a uh, interim president of Asbury Seminary, correct? He says this, you cannot be fully human by working all the time. He says, I think something happens to people who neglect their rest. It's not that God sends them into a Babylonian captivity, it's that their bodies, their psyches, their excitement and toil simply gives out. And we know what that is, we have a word for it, burn out. Well, they just burned out. They're toasty. So in light of what God has to say, in light of the model that we see from our earliest brothers and sisters in the first century and beyond with the Lord's Day, what's your favorite way to spend a Sunday? What's your favorite way to spend a Sunday? If somebody were to say to you, man, I'm so behind, I need to catch up on Sunday, what would you say to them now? What are the factors in your life, your schedule, your commitments that contribute to you spending a Sunday in ways that don't honor God and don't bring you life? So, I, I, like with all things, I wanna make this practical. So I have some practical things for you. In light of these scriptures, what can you and I do this week? Well, first and foremost, stop. If it's not Sunday, pick a day, but stop. Stop working, stop buying, stop hustling, stop running around, close the calendar, put away the to-do list, go off the clock, stop. Remember Amy Porterfield? Remember Bernard Lagat? When you stop, you know what you're gonna find? You're actually more productive, not less. The other thing is gather, come here, gather here. Gather with your brothers and sisters who've also been adopted into God's family. Hear the word of God, partake of the bread of life. Reaffirm your humanity, that you're a human being loved by God and that you're not valuable just because of what you do or bring to the table, but because of whose you are. Sleep. 
you all aren't sleeping. You know, on average, we sleep about two and a half hours less than our grandparents did. You know, the ones who got up at the crack of dawn and da-da-da-da-da. We sleep two and a half hours, on average, less than they did. Saying I'm tired in American culture is a badge of honor, but it means you're burning the candles in ways that aren't helpful. Jesus said, come unto me, you, are, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? I will give you what? Jesus is not a Pharaoh with a whip saying, make more bricks. <laughs> he is a good shepherd. You know his voice. He wants to lead you to still waters and green pastures. He's not Pharaoh. Okay? Sleep. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. Uh, I have a pastor friend of mine who likes to brag that he only needs three hours of sleep a night. And when I see him in public, he's, he's, got, he's a raccoon. <laughs> he's got the black, his eyes are black. It's like his wife hit him. And, and I'm always like, are you, what is that power energy drink thing you drink in there? How many of those have you had? Like, that's not healthy, okay? And then lastly, for some of us, what you need to hear out of this commandment is work, right? Six days you shall what? Work. Six days you shall work. The Sabbath commands the practice of work. Now, some folks think, well, it's, life is unjust, and the economic realities of our economic system are unjust, and so I'm just going to live for the weekends, and I'm not going to work, and I'm not going to do anything, and I'm only going to live for leisure and comfort. I just want to be comfortable, and I want to have fun. That's going to kill you every bit as much as violating the Sabbath and working all the time will kill you. There's something to be said about putting in a row of fence and at the end of the day, being able to look back at the row, of the row of fence that you put in and go, it's done. There's a sense of satisfact satisfaction that comes with that, and it's good. By the way, work is not a result of the fall. If you've ever heard that in church, we should have coffee. Adam and Eve were given work before the fall. It's just after humanity's rebellion, work became obnoxious. You didn't always get the fruit of your labor, like, the, you know, there was this bad quality to it, but work is something God-given. Um, so having that sense of satisfaction is huge. Uh, there's a reason, by the way, that so many people die within five years of retirement because they, they basically stop work. You weren't designed to just have a life of leisure. Um, Charles Schultz, the creator of Peanuts, died hours before his last comic strip was finished. William Bear Bryant lived 37 days after coaching his last game. I could go down a long list. This is common. Uh, so work is valuable. And by the way, since we're on that, some of you, like two, three years ago, I would create my to-do list of the day. And I would have 20 tasks. And at the end of the day, I would get, say, 13 of them done. And when I put my head on the pillow at night, I focused on the seven that didn't get done, and I would beat myself up. And then when I woke up the next morning, I was anxious because now I had a new set of tasks, and then I had seven tasks I didn't get done the day before. It was a terrible, it was toil, toil. It was Pharaoh, 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 all right? It was bad. I've adopted the power, what I call, uh, Michael Hyatt calls it the power of the big three. 
In any given day, I have three tasks that are important. There are some other things that I might do that I might not do. If I do them, great. If I don't do them, great. No problem. There, I'm going to do three things today. That's it, three things. And when I go to bed at night and I can go, I got it done, there's that sense of satisfaction. So it might be that you're trying to do too much. And if that's the case, if this hits you where you are, we should have coffee this week, right? We should talk about that. You got to have rhythm to truly live. You got to have rhythm. And that means observing the Sabbath, the Lord's Day in some form. You weren't designed to live by doing nothing. You weren't designed to live to work all the time because you're a human being. 